Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Trevor McNulty concludes our series of messages on the Gospel according to Mark. Today, looking at Mark 16, verses 1 through 20. And now, here's Trevor. So, but it's a, it's a long one, it's a busy one, so let's get started. Dear Lord Jesus, I just pray you'll be with us this morning. Lord, help me to be your vessel, that you speak through me, that all the words that come out of my mouth are, are guided and directed by you, and that you guide our hearts and our minds and our spirits to accept what you have for us today and apply them to our lives. Give us the strength to do so. Amen. Okay, so the pinnacle of the Christian belief is the resurrection. The foundation of the Christian belief is also the resurrection. So it's both the pinnacle and the foundation at the same time. Without the resurrection, Jesus was not Lord. So what do we base our beliefs on for this risen Savior? Do we base it on feelings or fact? Do we base it on shaky information or do we base it on rock-solid truths that are proven? That is the question we all must answer. answer. Sorry about that. Your faith begins with the resurrection of Jesus. If you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you are not in the family. You must believe that Jesus rose. That is a non-negotiable. That he said he would rise on the third day, and he did. Ascended to the right hand of the Father. Another non-negotiable is that Jesus died, as the scriptures say they did, and as he predicted he would. So we just look back quickly into Mark 15. It says, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in linen, in the linen shroud, and laid him in the tomb that he had cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now, I'm not sure about you, but if you've ever tried to move a rock by hand, you quickly understand how heavy a rock is. They are, it's unbelievable. So this large rock was placed in front of the tomb. And there are some skeptics out there who spend a lot of time trying to explain these events away. Some of their explanations are that the Romans, that Jesus wasn't actually dead. Well, the Romans were, these soldiers were professional killers. They would never let someone off the cross who was alive. Secondly, this tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers because of the Jews pushing for that to happen because they claimed that someone would try and steal the body. If these soldiers failed in their assignment, they would have massive repercussions. Trust me, they didn't fail in their assignment. Some people also argue that someone just, like, uh, that the tomb was empty, or that someone took the body and hid it and all that stuff, and that ties into the soldiers messing up their assignment. But all that really does is confirm 
yes, the, the tomb is empty. That's in our favor. Do you see where I'm going with that? That he was no longer there. He is risen. But they try to explain all these things away. And the Jews had heavy motivation to try to produce a body. To try to produce something to say, look, he's dead, he's right here. Never happened. So, it is safe to say that they are all dead wrong. Pun intended. And that the, all the evidence is in our corner. And we have to live that way. Because we have a great assurance that we have a risen Savior. All four Gospels include the resurrection. But today we are looking at Mark 16. So let's go there. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go in and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And when they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, who is going before you, to Galilee. There you will see him, just as I told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, and for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, if we look at the other Gospels, we can see that that silence was, was temporary. But we can all understand why they would have a response in that way. But now, that's a, that's a key here. What is the response? So that's the immediate response. We're just going to take a brief time here to fast forward 20 years to a roughly 52 to 55 AD when the letter to the Corinthians was written. This is 20 years after the resurrection. And what is said? And why is that important? Well, you see, lies tend to be proven false over time. And truth tends to be proven true over time. So, what is being said 20 years later? 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to go 3 to 10, and then 12 to 22. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures. And He appeared to Cephas, also known as Peter, then the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. This is Paul speaking. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, here's the importance of that. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, sorry, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. For those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are the people most to be pitied. However, but the fa- in fact Christ has been raised from the dead 20 years later, still preaching strong. The first fruits, those who have fallen asleep, but as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, also in Christ all shall be made, be made alive. So, what do we know about the resurrection? Well, first of all, we know it's true. Without a shadow of a doubt, I'll stand here today and say it is absolutely true. How can I say that, you might be wondering, with such confidence? Honestly, and most importantly, because the Bible says so. It's, you know, I can end this sermon on that point alone. The Bible said so. We're done. That would be easy. That would be nice. But it, but it's true. And from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, all that is contained is nothing but the truth. And is very trustworthy and it is the Word of God. Now, when we see in 1 Corinthians 15:7 that the Bible records that Jesus appeared to his brother James. Why is that important? Well, James was most likely with his family in Nazareth when Jesus went there earlier and was chased from the town. There was no record of his family standing up and saying, whoa, whoa, no, no, like, it's legit. But then, all this time later, Jesus appears to his brother. And his brother believes. His brother became the head, one of the head key members of the church in Jerusalem. His brother was one of many people who saw Jesus in the risen form. It says, Peter, the twelve, five hundred others who were still alive when Paul was writing this letter 20 years later. All these people who were out there spreading the truth of what they saw. And all these people who we'll discover later were paying a big price for saying what they saw. And also, Paul, who was on a killing spree at the time, killing the Christians, is also attesting to these matters, to these things, as 100% true. And if we look at all this and we see the lives of all those who were seeing the risen Lord, their lives turned 180 degrees in a different direction and never looked back. That is evidence of a resurrection. That is evidence of the truth and the stability in what we believe. Acts 5 shows one example of this. Peter, an apostle, uh, responses 
when being questioned by the council is incredible. So they're in front of the council and this is their response. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing after getting this nice beating that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease preaching and teaching that Christ is Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, we see the same message. Christ crucified, raised from the dead. Over and over. Christ crucified, raised from, raised from the dead. And the subsequent beatings and death that followed those that said that message. Now, we mentioned James earlier. James is especially interesting because of the family relation. James died for his belief in his half-brother being the Son of God and the resurrected Savior. He died by stoning, horrible death, for his beliefs. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was stabbed through with a spear. The list goes on and on and on. But why? Why would, you, why would this be? The resurrection of Jesus is the only answer and definitely the only logical answer. You see, people don't die for a lie, but they will die for the truth. And that is important. These men saw the risen Lord alive. And that gave them this unbelievable boldness that they could go forward with and preach. And the message was, there's no resurrection, there's no salvation, and that the message is 100% true. And they saw it with their own eyes. So remember what it said in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And it's verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the, from the dead. If we look at Romans, this is the consequence and what we get from receiving the resurrection. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in death, 
like this, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Salvation is complete. The tomb is empty. Our Lord is resurrected. So does it matter to you today that I used all the Bible for the proof text? Or for the proof? I certainly hope it, should, it wouldn't bother you. But there's a lot who it might. But I would have zero problems strictly using the Scripture for my proof because it is so trustworthy and reliable. But it is also very important to note that this is not our only source of historical documents discussing the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the, therefore the fallout and the effects that it had on the world. We're so blessed to have that as a, in, our, in our records. Now, if we go forward and we look at Josephus, Josephus was a Roman, a Jewish historian, and a military leader who is accredited with being extremely accurate with his historical records. So what does he have to say? He said, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received with the truth with pleasure. He drew over him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. And he was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he prepared to them, or sorry, he appeared to them alive again on the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. The Babylonian Talmud Sanhedrin, which is a very crazy source to find anything about Jesus in, has this to say. On the eve of the Passover, Yeshua was hanged. For forty days before the execution took place, a herald went forth and cried, He is going forth to be stoned, because of the practice of sorcery and enticed Israel into apostasy. Anyone who can say anything in his favor, let him come forward and plead on his behalf. But since nothing was brought forward in his favor, he was hanged on the eve of Passover. Now obviously there's different details in there, but there's, it is likely that we know that the Jews were planning stuff. They were trying to get Jesus all the time. That just gives evidence to that. But it, it's interesting to note they planned to stone him. But what did the Scriptures say would happen to him? That he'd be hung on a tree. And that's what happened. That's what they say here. They verify it. The Tactus Annals, probably pronounced that wrong, but they were written um, they are there 
an incredible volume of books. Um, but they discussed the after effects of the, of the faith that these Christians went forward with. And they, they look uh, in, um, in this particular passage, it shows how Nero in Rome treated the Christians. Nero fastened guilt, the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christ us, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hand of our pro-procurer Pontius Pilate. Nero blamed the Christians for the issues that were happening in Rome. There was lots of fires, it was burning, and he saw them as a scapegoat. He hated them, and he attacked them. Now, we have the record of the unbelievable cruelty that Nero treated these Christians. Why were these Christians standing firm? You see, Nero was an unbelievable sadistic person. And so he, he docu- this document in the Tactus Annals shows that Jesus was flogged, crucified, and that the way or the Christian movement had, was spreading through, through Judea and all the way out to Rome. Now, those that were either suspected as being Christian in this region or confessed to being Christians were under unbelievable punishment. Those that would not retract their statements were executed in the most brutal ways possible. And Nero would have garden parties and stuff while they would pour tar on these Christians, tie them up to a stake, put them up, and light them up and use them to illuminate their garden party at night. And these bodies would be burning all night to illuminate their fun time. That is one of the ways that Nero killed these Christians, but it's not the only. It would be totally understandable for these Christians to say, "Um, I'm just going to take my faith a notch down a little bit here. I'm going to hide it. I'm just going to, you know, do whatever I can. You know, it, it would be horribly sinful, but they might even say, uh, I'm going to, you know, maybe I'll just lie and say I'm not part of that following. They didn't. They were killed in brutal ways. Now, Peter denied Christ on the eve of his arrest in the courtyard. And these Christians stand firm. Again, the only explanation for that is the 100% full confidence in a resurrected Jesus. That's what gives them the power to do this. It is interesting to note that Nero failed in his attempt to snuff out the Christianity. 250 years later in this region of Rome, it became the official state religion. But during Nero's time, It is also interesting to note that they accepted all sorts of different religions and things that they pulled together during their conquests. They didn't target any of those. It was actually documented that they had a tolerance to it. 
However, Christianity has a long history of being hated. Why is that? Because the devil isn't threatened by us believing lies. He's threatened by us believing the truth. It's a victory for him for us to believe in anything but. But when we stand firm on the resurrected Jesus and the Bible and what the Bible teaches us and says, and we place our faith in that, that is a threatening thing to those that don't believe in the father of lies. So how did these Christians live their lives during this time period? Well, we have Pliny the Younger, who was a lawyer, an author, and a magistrate in ancient Rome, who documents it this way. They were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, when they sang in alternative verses a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to any wicked deeds, but to never commit any fraud, theft, adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a, a trust when they should be called upon to deliver up, after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of food, a, but a food of an ordinary and innocent kind. <laughs> These sound like the nicest people ever, but yet they are targeted and hated. So how does this affect our faith and our understanding of the Gospels, of the resurrection? I'd say it should, it should change everything. We shouldn't think of anything the same way we did prior to knowing Christ and knowing and accepting His resurrection. Just like the people that saw Him and they had a 180 degree turn in their life and never looked back, that should be us. We should have a boldness to us, to this truth that we have been given and that we believe. We should be transformed. No longer living for this world, this kingdom, but for the heavenly kingdom. Just like the disciples, our faith should be unstoppable. Now, we don't suffer the terror, but yet... They had the boldness and the confidence. And I question, where, where is that in us today? I know it's, it's so hard. Now, what did the resurrection have an effect on the world? You see, the pointer itself is bigger than the country here. Israel. One man died there. People die all the time. Good people die all the time. But one man died there 2,000 years ago. And the world has never been the same. What did he say in, you know, he said, it will reach the four corners of the world. It has. It has never gone away. And when we look in uh, the latter half of the passages I was assigned here, we will uh, we'll see that the command was to bring the gospel to the earth here. 
Now, I'm going to note that the earlier manuscripts, there's some manuscripts that don't have the section from verse 9 to 20 in their manuscripts. And I'm also going to say that that's not a problem. There's, you know, I don't know what happened, why those manuscripts don't have these verses, but if we look at the contents, all these ideas are found elsewhere in the Bible over and over and over again. So, um, so there's no conflict, there's no issue here with these verses, even though some of the, some of what it says is, you're like, whoa, but it, it shows up elsewhere and is well trustworthy as the rest of the Bible and scriptures are. So let's read. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, who had cast out seven demons. She went out and told those who had been with with him as they mourned and wept, but they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, and they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of, two of them as they were walking in the country, and they went back and told the rest, and they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves, and as they were reclining at the table, he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had saw him uh, after he had risen. And he said to them, Go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, they will drink any deadly poison, and will not, and it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. You see there, again it shows how Those that saw instantly believed. Those that were like being told the reports, like, meh. Then Jesus, like, he rebukes them. He says, he shows them, I'm here. I am risen. Now go out. That 180 degree turn, they're out and they are preaching. And they are, and they, as he asked, went out to all the creation. So what about us? What do we do now? We believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. What is our appropriate response to that? I would argue that that would be um, passion, would be boldness, would be truth and love with, without ceasing. And that no matter what culture is throwing at us, that we would do those things. Now, our culture right now doesn't want anything to do with these messages. They don't want anything to do with, with anything factual. And you see, the thing is, 
the verse, whoever does not believe will be condemned. So the question is, do we love the people around us or not? If we love them, we don't send them to condemnation. No matter the price we face, we have to speak the truth of Christ, His resurrection, and it will save. And that's what we need to do. We can't allow ourselves to wear the muzzle that they try to are trying to put on us. We need to go out with the boldness. And we need to thank God that we don't face the... Uh, the, the, the punishments and the beatings and the things that these people faced willingly and gladly and celebrated and counted themselves you know, uh, unworthy to even take those beatings, but they were so glad they were counted as worthy. And well, you know, we thank the Lord that we don't face that today, but we need the, the truth in this world. The truth is the only thing that will bring any sort of healing to this world. It's my prayer today that we earnestly just go with ourselves to a quiet place and we can just pray for God to give us the boldness that we need to in our circumstances, in our situations and that we are guided and directed by Him as to how to, how to do this today. How do we spread this word today? And, and that, uh, that He just works in all of our lives and that we see a, a tide change in this world, in this city. And um, let's just uh, bow in prayer and then I'll invite you guys to close up. Dear Lord, I just thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you've given us the documents in the Bible and, and elsewhere in tons of ways and all the archaeological evidence and everything that you've left behind for us doubters that we could look back and see that every time we unearth something, it screams of your truth. And that, Lord, forgive us of our doubt. Forgive us of our of ourselves when we get in the way and that we get caught up in all the different things that we get caught up in. Lord, I just pray that You'll just work in us and that the city of Timmins would, would see the resurrected Jesus being preached with boldness coming out of this church and hopefully all the other churches, that you would just show us how and give us this courage this, and get us out of any sort of a rut we're in, Lord, and help us to, you, Lord, that the words that come out are a thousand percent yours and zero percent us, and that we just are your humble servants in this, no matter what the cost. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. 
Until next time.